You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Good afternoon. It's Friday, August 21st, and you're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. Joined right now by Chris Hummer, national college football writer for 24-7 Sports. Chris, as we head into the weekend, got a lot of things to talk about. I want to start with the fact that the NCAA council today is going to vote on uh, this proposal that would essentially freeze eligibility for any athlete who plays in the fall or the winter. So football players could essentially, if you play this year, it doesn't really count toward your total eligibility we could be having some six-year six year seniors next fall. What's, what's your take on this, and do you think it's going to be as good of a thing as we think it is? Well, first, I, I really, for once, you need to stop and commend the NCAA and the Division I Council for making this decision. Um, I'm not sure if it's going to be applied in this way, but giving athletes a chance to have this year back, and this year is so weird for everybody, uh, football players or not, um, I think that's a big positive and the opportunity to kind of maintain your eligibility while still going to classes and playing these games is super important. I don't know if it'll, I don't know if it'll be applied in the same way because scholarships are expensive. We saw in the spring uh, when those uh, athletes got their eligibility back, a lot of schools just opted to cut ties with their seniors because they couldn't afford to do so. Um, I talked to a director of player personnel at a G5 school today. He felt pretty confident. They could cover all the extra scholarships for the seniors, but um, that is one of the more well-off group of five programs. And he wasn't sure if some of the other ones in the country could do the same thing. So while you still, you might see 110 player rosters, at a lot of the larger um, FBS schools and some of the group of five ones as well, I don't think it's going to be prevalent uh, kind of across the country. Um, there's kind of a lot of directions you could take this, but it's, it's huge news. And I think ultimately it is the right thing to do. For sure. It's it's absolutely the right thing to do. You'd hate for someone to burn their senior season if they're expecting it to be special, like if it's an, an Ian Book or a Kellen Mond or a Sam Ellinger. You'd hate for like them to not have the option to at least return to school if they only get three games in or four games or you know six or even eight, Chris. But I think the the thought here is that like the guys I just mentioned, they're probably not going to take advantage of this rule anyway. Like Ian Book might, but if you're even going to get drafted in the NFL, I can't imagine wanting to stay in school for at that point a fifth season when never when you've been planning out and mapping out your life the last few years, never once was 2021 college football a possibility for you. You've been training hard to get ready for the 2021 NFL draft. Like talking about a guy like yeah, and Ellinger. Like I just don't see it, and I think fans are on the same wavelength there. I went to a few message boards on Wednesday night when this was first proposed, and like they're kind of fans across the country are like this is good in spot circumstances, but they don't really want to see their entire <laughs> senior class coming back because oh, that's message the, board fans right yeah, there. Like people, like there's nothing better in the world than your incoming class of freshmen. Like those guys have the world in front of them. And at least in, in, as a fan, that's your perspective. And you'd hate to see those guys get sunk even further on the depth chart. I think that's a really interesting part of all of this is we're going to see a lot of older guys get processed through a system. 
Yeah, a couple of things based off of that. I think most coaches would probably disagree with message board people there. Like they would rather have kind of a solid power five starter who might not be an NFL player, but you know exactly where they're going to be over an incoming freshman, no matter how talented he is for that season. I think they'll welcome those guys back. Um, To your point about kind of those fringe NFL players, like potentially coming back, I talked to a parent of a fourth-year senior quarterback today, a pretty prominent name, and he said there's no chance his son would come back to school for a fifth season, even granted another year. Um, Anybody that has that NFL opportunity is going to kind of go for that. That's the ultimate goal. And we have to remember that eligibility is great and an extra year of kind of a degree track is great, but these guys take a lot of hits. And anytime that you come back for an extra season, you're essentially shortening your profitability clock on the next level. So like, I think those fringe guys that you might expect to come back and kind of up their draft stock, kind of like we see in college basketball every year, are not going to kind of happen the same way. One, because college basketball players are a lot younger in a lot of cases. These are freshmen and sophomores coming back. And two, they don't take the same kind of number of hits. Um, And to your third point, which was the transfer element and the processing element, I completely agree. You're going to see a lot of guys pushed out of programs. And I think you're going to see a lot of graduate transfers end up on the FCS level over the next 12 months or so. Just because, like, one, like, transfers are very expensive like these scholarships are very expensive, like we mentioned earlier. And two, you did mention, and this is a salient point that some of the younger players programs want to bubble up and kind of see where they're at. So I think in some of those cases where you have a backup six year senior tight end, uh, that guy might be asked to move on in favor of your redshirt freshman who you're hoping to play a little bit more the next season. You mentioned FCS. That's interesting because I'm kind of wondering what's going to be the landing spot for these guys. I was thinking group of five, but they're going to have these same issues. Maybe not as like a, a total talent standpoint as, like, you know, SMU's recruiting well, but SMU's not like, like SMU seniors are probably still going to be better than their incoming freshmen. But in many circumstances across the country, I don't think you can say the same thing. So yeah, we'll see if the FCS ranks get stocked with some college football uh, names that we know and love. Well, we, we see it. We, we both follow the transfer portal rather closely and we see, we see power five players end up on the FCS level all the time because there just aren't landing spots for them. And I think with even more players in the marketplace that, um, that movement's going to become even heavier to the FCS level. An easy segue here is talking about what the big 10 is going to do and what its players are going to do who play in the spring. It does look like the conference is at least acting like it's going to try to do this thing. Uh, Multiple reports, including a few at 24-7 Sports, Brian Snow, who's actually covers basketball for us, but is really plugged in with the Big Ten, said that the conference had a, a, a long call on Thursday in which coaches were sort of given this roadmap of of a January season played in in various domes across the Midwest, like St. Louis, Indianapolis, Minneapolis, with an eight-game conference schedule, hopefully ending by March. And like I don't I don't really know the difference totally between starting the season January first and starting the season September twenty sixth, other than testing, but they're gonna try to do this thing. Yeah, and I, I I think that's great personally. Like it's it's awesome to see I mean, for us, it's awesome. We might get what college football for nine straight months if uh, everything hits correctly. 
which is really cool. I think Big Ten teams are really aware that um, they're going to fall behind in certain aspects in a recruiting standpoint and, quite honestly, a perception standpoint if they don't play. And a lot of those, a lot of those players really want to play, uh, not only for just their NFL stock, but just because it's what they want to do. And these coaches want to do the same. So if we could have an eight game big 10 season in which a conference championship champions determined, um, from January to March, I think that's awesome. It not only allows the season to be played, it allows players who might be fringe NFL prospects to kind of get some more tape on film and still be ready for the April draft. Six months is still a pretty short window between seasons, um, but I think that's more doable than some of the plans that we saw that would end the season in May, for example. So I think it's I think it's great that the Big Ten is plugging ahead, and I find kind of the bubble aspect of things that Brian Snow reported to be really intriguing, kind of having multiple games on the same day in the same location. Um, and I think we could probably get into this later, but I think the testing element is going to be really intriguing if our kind of ability to get results back more quickly is changed by kind of the saliva tests that have been introduced by Yale and the NBA in the last week or so. Yeah, that test. I mean, we're seeing how we're seeing we're waiting every day really to see if it's getting to market quick enough, because that's I think, you know, if we lift off with the September 26th season, I think that's going to be a big part as to why that was possible. You would assume by January 1st, yeah, that's that going to be, be totally, totally available. And not to mention maybe some other things such as a vaccine um, take hold. I like the idea of multiple games at one location throughout the day. Like it feels like very basketball, which is perfect for the big 10. I really enjoyed the NBA playoffs yeah, uh, it's starting been, around noon every it's day. It's been awesome. It's been, it's been great just having basketball on TV all day long. And can you imagine college football fans in the big 10 country, just like watching football day on a Saturday or a Friday? It'd be awesome. You know, what's funny is like we, we do do that, but I think, oh, like, you know, that's true. but I think the same location makes it, makes it a little bit different and a little bit, it almost unique. feels like, like the Texas state championship games usually take place at Jerry world, AT&T stadium in Dallas, and they'll stack like four, a five, a five, a back to back to back on the same day. And I think it would have a really similar feel to that. And a lot of times I know fans probably aren't going to be part of that equation in January, but fans are allowed to keep their tickets throughout the day too. So it's a really cool vibe. And I, I think it could be a lot of fun. Yeah. I don't, I don't think we'll see fans here. I, it's not, it's not lost on me that this comes out of the big 10 a day after Kevin Warren finally resurfaces and tries to save a little bit of face for his week long silence. Like I understand what the conference is doing here and and that's spinning the story forward. But in this case, I don't really mind it because it, it seems like a decent plan And, you know, unless you were holding out hope that the Big Ten was going to change its mind within the next week and try to have a season, I think this is your best possible option because you're right. It ends in March, not in May. Uh, January 1st, Chris, I still think I I still think a spring season, even if it starts January 1st instead of February 15th, like it's just we're not going to see a Justin Fields in that, are we? Like we're like players are not of an upper level going to be participating in that spring season i would i would not think i would be very surprised and i i know somebody pretty close to justin fields who's been pretty insistent throughout that if it gets pushed to the spring justin's not playing and i just i don't know why i would risk it and also like i think part of the appeal of playing the season for anybody of that caliber on that level is the opportunity to win a national championship and even though a big 10 season starting january 1st would still kind of cross with the regular college football season, 
I can't see a scenario in which the college football playoff or the other conferences would wait two and a half months to add the Big Ten team to their mix. And kind of given that, I would I would really be shocked if like the big name talents in the Big Ten, your Justin Fields, or I guess your Micah Parsons have already stepped out. I would be very surprised if they ended up playing the season still. That, that's a really good point. Unless the Pac-12 joins in on this and does its own thing out West and then they get together for a Big Ten Pac-12 challenge, which still I don't think would like move the needle in a national championship or college football playoff way. Yeah, like what's Justin Fields going to come back to school for to win the Big Ten again? He's already done that. So yeah, that's... Yeah. That's gonna be that's gonna be interesting. Like speaking of bubble, the last thing I want to talk about today is we've seen colleges, North Carolina, NC State. We'll see what Notre Dame does. Uh, they're on like a sort of two week trial period here. It's not going well having students doing on campus learning. So these colleges, these universities, have within the last twenty four hours announced that their students can stay on campus if they want to in the dorms and in the residence halls and the you know fraternity houses, but classes will be done online only. And there's uh, one portion of Twitter that thinks this is like really bad news for college football because it sort of hits against the argument that these players are actually like they're, it calls their amateur status into question. If the, the players can be, you know, participating fully in their daily life on, you know, the, the practice fields and all that, but the students are not going to classes and maybe soon not even on campus. But I think, I think Chris, like we're down the road enough where colleges have made it clear. Like if they, they intend to play right now, like that, like they don't really care about the optics at this point. Like I think these quote unquote bubble environments for the North Carolinas and the North Carolina states where you remove these students from the equation and maybe just have college football players only on campus are only active on campus. I think, I think that's maybe how we get to have a season. Personally, I, I very much agree. I think this was always going to be a natural step. If college football was going to happen, you want to isolate these players as much as possible sort of like we see in the off season when they're pretty much in a bubble environment on an empty campus, especially kind of during this time. And I think if football is going to happen, this is probably one of the best ways to let it occur. The ethics of it, I think are something else. And the amateuristic status of that is um, certainly something to consider in depth. I think it does show that amateurism is a farce in a lot of ways, but from if you're a pure football standpoint, I believe Mac Brown yesterday said it helps create a better seal for our players and it's hard to argue with them um there's going to be less players interacting with the general student body um there's going to be less opportunities for the virus to spread to the football players who are mostly around the facilities other than when they're at home and they're around kind of their significant others or what have you and if that happens like i think football has a much better chance of being played it's just a kind of a fact and optics aside i it is one step towards football. There are some exceptions, but for the most part, college football teams have been reporting really good levels of, of COVID-19 positive cases recently with like before the students got to campus or the, the regular student body. And so that, that makes me believe like these college football players, for the most part, they understand their role in all of this. They understand why it's important to live their lives within a bubble. I trust them to make that happen. It's, it's the rest of the students who, and I'm not blaming anyone. You're only in college once, but it's, nope. 
And and it, again, it's like even if you're not worried about Trevor Lawrence interacting with the Clemson student body at large, and I'm not sure how much that would have happened anyway during the football season, right? Like the, these college players are are usually pretty good about like who they're hanging out with and whatever. But 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 like even if you didn't think that Trevor Lawrence was going to be going to parties on Thursday night, and I don't know what he's doing. But it, it helps at least to remove the students from the equation because the optics of trying to have a football season on your campus while you have a positive test rate of 25% among your student body, like that's not good. And that's a lot of the PR blowback that we see. And that's a lot of what the university presidents say is like, what's our community risk level here? Like, what's our obligation to our community? Is it safe in this college town for us to be playing? Yeah, I, I agree on that point. But on the partying aspect of things, we both went to Texas, and I think we can both attest that Sixth Street did not lack for football players during the season. But, that's probably um, true, at least but, after the games, though. Yeah, yeah, but that's it's a different situation. Obviously, those bars, for the most part, in most places aren't going to be open, and like those on-campus parties are certainly going to be limited, so bad decisions will be blunted no matter what because the opportunities aren't there. But the actual optics of this in terms of positive cases, I think – by removing the general student body from the equation. And again, that does raise questions of amateurism is ultimately a good thing from a perception standpoint for just football being played. Because as you said, when there are multiple outbreaks happening on a campus, it becomes harder to justify any student, including student athletes staying on that campus just to kind of go to class or to participate in the sport. And when you kind of remove that factor from the equation, it does make it easier for, I think a lot of people including health officials, government officials, and fans to stomach the fact that football's happening. So ultimately, like this is a positive step towards football in a lot of ways. We'll see what happens on that front. I know a lot more schools start on Monday, uh, up this upcoming Monday. And so it's probably likely that several of them after two days are like, oh, let's, uh, let's go virtual. Get that dorm but, money, man. Get that dorm money. I know. I know. All right. Well, you know, the things are going to start up picking up again on Monday. Hopefully get, we get through another week. And last weekend was a success compared to the weekend before it, as far as us hoping to have a season. So, you know, it's, it's live and die each day and each day has its own set of, of, you know, Twitter drama and, and all that stuff. But to recap, I really like this NCAA eligibility stuff. I, maybe it will prevent a few of the opt outs that you're starting to see in the ACC and the SEC and the, and the big 12 and, you know, we're, uh, we're getting close. So Chris, thanks for joining us. That'll do it for today's episode of the college football daily. If you enjoy what we're doing, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple podcasts, maybe a review. If you have a commentary or a, a, a comment even, or if you have a, something you think we should be talking about right now. Um, my name is Trey Scott. We'll talk to you on Monday. shining light Sarajevo and they needed to kill that light from producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2 U2 they represent a personification of our resistance the Hollywood reporter hails kiss the future moving and inspirational kiss the future viva Sarajevo 
Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.